0: only screaming to scare them hello my name is will and this is exploding helicopter the podcast doing off the books missions to review films where helicopters explode now when you think of the great directors of italian cinema you might think of fellini pasolini bertolucci antonini or Rossellini, and other people whose names end in I. but on this show we're not looking at one of those glamorous internationally lauded filmmakers no, we're celebrating one of the unsung heroes of Italian cinema, a man who spent years in the trenches of genre cinema, often knocking out three films a year, usually with little time, money or resources. Yet in spite of those obstacles, he managed to craft films that entertained audiences all while putting his own creative stamp on them. So on this show, we're looking at Codename Wild Geese, one of the many films directed by Antonio Margariti. And talking of men doing unheralded work in the dungeons of genre cinema, it's time to introduce my guest today. Disappointingly, his name doesn't end in I. It's Matt Poirier from Director Video Connoisseur. Welcome to the show, Matt.
1: Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Yes, I guess it's a, a French surname. I guess they, they don't do the eyes French <laughs> they do it Italian French. Sure.
0: Maybe uh, maybe we should just stick one on for the uh, for the sake of simplicity onto this uh, onto this show. And uh, yeah, maybe sort of uh, adopt a bit of an Italian accent, or you know, give give a few words uh, sort of an Italian flourish every now and then, just to get just to stick with the theme
1: right exactly i think my, my last name is pear tree in french so maybe like the i think like perro or something like that in the italian i don't know like the perry or something i don't know that must be like the, 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 <laughs> the italian version there's probably, there's probably an italian pear tree right there's probably an italian equivalent for pear tree somewhere but
0: yeah <laughs> yeah if you if anyone knows the answer do uh, you know drop me a line and uh, and let me know but uh uh it's a, yeah it's great to um it's great to have you on the podcast because uh, i'm i i'm a big fan of your site so um why don't you give give us a flavor of uh, what you do over there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I want to say likewise as well. I've always been a big fan of uh, of, of your, your site here. I think that for the direct-to-video film, I don't know if there's a trope that's bigger than the exploding helicopter, especially the DTV accent. So <laughs> it's definitely great for that. Um, yeah, so direct-to-video connoisseur started, I guess, in 2007. I don't want to say we've been doing it since because we've had uh, multiple, I don't know what the plural is for hiatus, but we've had a, a few different uh, moments where we we, we weren't uh, blogging like we should. But um but yeah, the idea is to, to spotlight these movies that you know don't get that they don't make it into the mainstream theater that either go direct to video or have a very limited theatrical release that makes them essentially that's where they make their money is in the secondary market. And I think from the pot or from the blog standpoint, we get the most uh I, I don't know what the word is uh, I get the most hits or the most uh response from the action films. It seems like horror and, and sci-fi, they don't quite have the same – they don't resonate. The DTV doesn't resonate as well. But action fans, it seems like they really love anything, but they, they seem to gravitate more <laughs> towards the DTV one. So that's definitely what I've noticed. And it's like if I post too many horror films or something like that, I get very little response where it's like if I throw up a Dolph Lundgren flick, everybody's like, yes, this is great. So I don't know if it's from the action fan. You can – you know, we, we sometimes maybe – bigger isn't better with action like a bigger budget isn't better that you know as long as it's got what we want in it it's got you know a fight scene or a, a, an explosion every seven to ten minutes that that doesn't <laughs> for us so yeah maybe that's what it is maybe and, just
0: uh, maybe is. just action movie fans just very undiscerning i don't know exactly. maybe, that's, like, maybe that's the worrying uh, worrying <laughs> conclusion of all this
1: exactly as long as the plot doesn't get in the way everybody's happy so yeah for sure <laughs>
0: Well, for anyone who's listened to uh, the Exponing Helicopter podcast, you may you know you may be familiar with my my co-host uh, Dara, who uh, appears on on many of the shows, and um, you know if he was here. He would probably be uh, quite sniffy about the the world of uh, you know director video films. Uh, you know, Dara has certain sort of uh, aspirations to intellectual grandeur, which um, are, are, are sadly uh, unfounded. But um, you know, he 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 probably doesn't he doesn't I know for a fact look too kindly on on the world to, of uh, director video movie. So uh, you know, wh- you know, why don't you uh, sort of make the case for them, Matt? You know, what's he missing out on?
1: Well, I, I think the biggest thing is that, I, and I, I guess it, it depends on what kind of directed video you're watching. Like sometimes, yes, it has a, an assembly line quality to it that you watch it and you're like, okay, this is just really bad. Or or sometimes it has a quality to it where it's like you can tell the script has been passed from rewrite to rewrite to try to save it and it just ends up becoming this, this awful mess. And so it doesn't always work, but I think when it's good, there's a... I don't know if you say an earnestness to it. There's a fun quality to it that you feel like you're watching something that you don't have to take overly seriously. And I think of my favorite direct-to-video movie is a, a movie called Showdown in Little Tokyo that has a oh, yeah. Dolph Lundgren and yeah, Brandon Lee. I mean, that one is just ridiculous. And I think it's like a 75-minute <laughs> run time. Um, it did have a limited theatrical release, so it was in the theaters for a short period. But there's something about a movie like that that you can't get on the big screen because, one... The budget has to make it. It has to be a certain length if it's. It's got to have a you know a, a budget behind it. So like a Fast and the Furious movie, it might be fun and over the top, but it's got to be at least two two and a half hours. Uh, the mainstream movie also it has to go through so many arcs. So it's like okay, the heroes do something. Oh, they fail. OK, now they do something. Now they fail again. They can You know, the, the, the mm. bad guy has to keep winning until the very end when they finally beat the baddie at the end. And so we know everything is going to happen. Whereas a direct to video movie, it doesn't have to be that long. So we don't have to have so much of that, you know, spinning our wheels kind of thing. <laughs> and, and so that that kind of part of it can be fun for me. It's it, you know, it, think of like the PM Entertainment movies, mm. They're just like – there's an explosion maybe every 10 to 15 minutes. Cars are getting flipped over. But there isn't a sense that like it's been overly focused grouped or that they've gone into and said, OK, like what are we going to do to get the, the maximum number of audiences to enjoy this? It's more like, OK, action fans, are you going to like this? Is this going to be something that works for you? There's that element. But for the action fan, I think – DTV sometimes gets it right more than the big screen because they know what we want. They're going to do it. You know, we've got a, a $10 million budget. We're going to spend $9 million on explosions, the other million on, <laughs> on, you know, getting Segal, Steven Seagal in it for 10 minutes to like snarl a few times and we can put him on the cover and that'll do the trick. And so I think sometimes it does work a little bit better for, especially for action fans to, to see the DTV stuff. And I was surprised how much it resonated with a lot of people out there that people were telling me about movies that I hadn't even considered before. Like, you know, like, so many people really did like this kind of thing so it's definitely fun if you're an action fan yes if you're into Fellini and and I'm I like I'm a, I'm a good fan of Fellini as well um you know sometimes it's good to mix it up you know you watch your your eight and a half and then watch your Dolph Lundgren flick and sometimes it works out <laughs> better that way
0: okay I think it's time that we got stuck into Codename Wild Geese so here's a clip to give you a flavor of the film
2: well I see you've got the cream of the crop here. Your people have been in uh, every major conflict for the last 15 years, official or otherwise. We didn't win them all. Well, this one is not official, Captain. Although we do have a rather large investment going here. Set your mind at ease. I'll vouch for Captain Wesley. He'll get things done. That's why we put this in your hands. Huh. After all, our front must have responsibilities too. Don't forget, Mr. Brenner will be open to reprisals. Don't worry, Baldwin. I rather enjoy playing the role of the crusading philanthropist. Can I get on with the subject, please? Thank you. Well, it's this way, Captain. You don't know me, and you've never seen me. Neither my country, nor any of the other governments involved will ever recognize your operation officially. We get paid. That's explanation enough. Is it me or the method you don't like? Would you like the straight answer? Forget it. My informers will give me the final word tomorrow.
0: Codename Wild Geese came out in 1984. Despite the title, it has no connection to the Wild Geese, other than in a desire to have you watch the film by thinking there might actually be one. Uh, As for the story, this centres on the international drug trade. Uh, In order to stop the supply of uh, cheap heroin onto the streets, British and American law enforcement agencies sanction an off-the-books mission. The plan is to destroy the drug-producing facilities of General Khan in the jungle of Cambodia to carry out the raid an eclectic team of mercenaries led by captain wesley are hired for the job it all seems fairly straightforward they sneak into cambodia and destroy the opium factory but as is so often the case in films of this ilk the mission suddenly gets a lot more complicated when events force their objectives to change and their escape route is compromised The cast is led by Lewis Collins, who is the star of The Professionals, the action espionage TV series from the 70s and 80s. Alongside him are Hollywood greats Ernest Borgnine, uh, Lee Van Cleef and the uh, idiosyncratic uh, German actor Klaus Kinski. As we've previewed, uh, the film was directed by uh, Antonio Margheriti, here working under his regular alias uh, Anthony M. Dawson. Uh, Margheriti made films... Uh, from 1960 through to the late 1990s and and worked across many different genres science fiction sword and sandal uh, horror uh, euro spy spaghetti western war movies action movies uh, you name it he made it Um, while his films uh, often um, in, were inspired or, or, or perhaps uh, ripped off from other better movies um, he's earned something of a cult reputation because despite often very difficult limitations his films you know frequently have something very interesting um entertaining or uh, original going on within them so, with all that um, out the way, let's get stuck into uh, sort of the review of the film. So, uh, Matt, what's your history uh, with uh, Antonio Margheriti, and uh, what did you make of Codename Wild Geese?
1: So, yeah. So, in terms of Margheriti, my only the only movie I'd done of his before was Your. Uh, Hunter from the future. So I had been planning; I'd had him on my radar to do more of his films. Uh, so when we did this one, I ended up watching Commando Leopard as well, and I'm looking to hopefully do uh, the commander, kind of do the the full mm. uh, arc here. But I think one of the things I like about Margariti when I think of some of these these Italian low-budget filmmakers like Bruno Mattai and uh, Castellari, there is a uh, I don't want to say a cinematic, quali- I don't know if that that's the right word, cinematic quality, but it seems like they come from the same school as like Fellini and Rossellini and all of them, and then somewhere their paths diverge, and so then they, you know, Mark <laughs> Greedy starts making these kinds of movies, but he seems to understand cinema in a similar way, that you get certain you know, inspired shots here and there or it, it looks different from like an American DTV film that might be done by a, a stunt director or something like that, who just put behind the camera and told mm. them to make it work and we'll fix it all in post. <laughs> you know, Margariti's not thinking we're going to fix it all in post. He's going to make the movie. Um, so that's something I do appreciate about these and I thought this film had that quality. And, um, you know, the movie overall, I, I thought from an action standpoint, it seemed like there was no point where it got too, I mean, I guess the beginning where he's, he's flying around Hong Kong doing stuff that could have been a little bit but that, that, that was probably the only area where we didn't have a lot of action. But it mm. seemed like, for the most part, we had a good action quotient, uh, good explosions, that kind of thing, which I, I appreciate when, with a movie like this.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, I think this film, I mean, it's got lots of, of, of actions. Um, certainly, I think once you... Once the film gets going, and it doesn't take that long to get going, I think once you're past the first fifteen minutes, it's um, you know there's a regular action every so often. There, I mean, there is huge explosions in this in this film. There's no shortage of uh, of action. You know, there's some really sort of cool moments um, along the way. But I think for me, ultimately, I, I thought this was you know very solid, but unspectacular film. I mean, it, it's good. It it never gets boring. It moves along. But um, for me, I felt that it lacked a certain sort of je ne sais quoi. I feel that this film, it could have done that in a variety of ways. It perhaps could have done something with the characters. I mean, there's good action in here, but there's I'm not sure that there's anything in here that's hugely stand out um or you know or maybe if the dialogue had been a little bit quirky it just needed i think one of those elements just to be a couple of notches higher and i think that this film would would be really elevated by that
1: yeah i agree i think this is the kind of one where um i were watching this with my friends or something uh people would start going to their phones probably that they would you know and look up for the explosions and things like that but they would probably be You know, playing around on Facebook or whatever. Um, and that's one thing I noticed. It was, it was a little unremarkable in that sense that it was, it didn't have, it wasn't like one of those blow you away kind of, no pun intended with all the explosions (laughs) in the film, but it wasn't, I know what you mean there. It was like, it was, it was, it was fun for me, you know, as as an action film, I could do, I had things that I could pick out and, and, and and riff on and things like that. But yeah, it was, it was the kind of movie that might be a, a, you know, find something, you know, be distracted or get distracted Mm -hmm. with something else kind of thing.
0: And I don't know what you thought, but, you know, for me, I thought that this film actually could have been a little bit better because it seemed to be laying the groundwork for certain things, which then ultimately never were exploited within the film. So the whole opening sequence sets up Captain Wesley, who is this, the leader of the mercenaries, it sets him up as this bit of a hard bastard character i mean he's he sees one of um he basically is running this training exercise and somebody's uh fatally wounded during this training exercise and you know he doesn't really seem to give a damn about that and his men are grumbling about wesley as a as a, as a commander and you sort of think okay right it's setting up this this element of you know of him as a character and how's that going to play out with his team of men sort of later on the film but it never does play out and there are other characters within the film where again it seems like okay are you know they're going to play a role later on in the film so there's this journalist character who crops up about halfway through the film and she might as well have not been in the film you know in terms of like her participation um sort of in the action and You know, there are some other elements here, which I just thought it sort of lays the groundwork for stuff, but they don't go anywhere. And you just think, well, if you'd done a little bit more with that, maybe this film then would have stood out in the way that we're both sort of wishing it perhaps had.
1: Yeah, and I think with that character, with that journalist character, that was that was kind of like a dark turn in the film that I don't mm. necessarily know that we needed either. I mean first off, like I couldn't tell – like they showed her, her – I guess there were supposed to be puncture marks from being injected with heroin or something. Yeah. Um, and at first, when I saw that, I thought they were like bird marks. I thought like they'd been torturing her by burning her with cigarettes, which I thought was like really, boh, that's like real macabre there. I don't really need that. But then after, I was like, okay, that's that's a real weird way to, you know, I, I'm not someone who's familiar with with using heroin, but it seems like it's not like you just like kind of just go up and down your arm, like you know, making a, a nice line of, of of holes. Um So that also seemed weird. But also, it really only had the effect of, I guess, like it. When she was helping out the guy who was sick, she was having trouble determining if she could give him morphine mm. without taking it herself. And, yeah, it was it was kind of just thrust in there. I did have a feeling like this this script seemed like it was cobbled together, like a few different scripts cobbled together. Like there was that point where, where when we first get Ernest Borgnine in the film and he's talking to Lewis Collins – and he just starts, like, everybody's saying things that seems like they're almost like non sequiturs. Like, you know, Lewis <laughs> Collins is like, as long as the money is good, I'll do whatever you want. And then suddenly Ernest Borgnine says, is it me you don't like or the methods? And yeah. it's like, I-, I think somebody missed a line somewhere. Like, there was something missing there or something. I don't know if maybe two of those, like, oh, if, if somebody did miss a line, we've only got Ernest mm. Borgnine for a short period, let's just go with it. You know, I don't know. But, um, yeah, the other thing was that Arbiv character where they sort of set up that he's making money for his family. And I guess that's why he sacrifices himself with the train later. But because there's like nothing in between with this character, Mm. it's just sort of like we place this here. We're going to place that there. And um, yeah, it was a lot of those things weren't fleshed out as well as it would have been nice to see.
0: Yeah, I can, I completely agree. And, um, you know, going back to what you were saying about, um, you know, Lewis Collins, character, Wesley in that one scene, he's talking about, well, I'm happy to do this if the money's right. But at the beginning of the film, it's, sort of sets up you know he's got this dead son who it later turns out was basically a victim of the drug trade and so that is presumably his motivation for taking part in this mission and you know for continuing on in this mission later on when the situation gets you know much more complicated and, and a lot more hairy but again uh you know that kind of comes back into the film right at the end but there's absolutely nothing in between so it sort of doesn't carry any weight whatsoever in the movie, and with what you've just identified you know and, and these other examples there's there are these ideas of arcs for the characters which um they just are like bookends they have a bit at the beginning and a bit at the end, and there's just you know there's no meat in the sandwich.
1: Yeah, exactly. Now, I was wondering with Lewis Collins, um, you know, because, you know, we didn't get the professionals here in the United States. I just kind of looked the show up after. But, I mean, was there a sense that Margariti was trying to somehow make him like a James Bond ish character plus, uh, uh, you know, a a soldier or, you know, Mm. like kind of. For hire, like with the the way he's walking around Hong Kong with his white suits and, and his white blazers <laughs> and everything, like it seemed like even there there was a, an inconsistency where you get this really cool character as he's going around Hong Kong, you know, kind of saying sly lines mm. and driving and everything, and then in the movie he's he's you know he I, yeah it's 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 uh, sometimes it felt like a lot of the um the action was was sort of farmed out to the other characters. And he's just walking around, like, looking things up on a computer and stuff like that, where, um, maybe we needed more of him, like, taking care of business in, in different parts. You yeah. know, like, every once in a while he'd have a fight or something, but maybe we needed more of that. And I don't know if, the, if, if that's part of it too, is he was inconsistently created, like, if, if Margariti didn't know what to do with him.
0: Well, one aspect of this film we really need to look at are the uh, are the special effects um so like a lot of films of this era you know some of the the big set pieces in this film were made and executed with the use of of models or or miniatures and um, but unlike um, a lot of those films it's not just a few key shots that are achieved with model work um, so in this film entire sequences are are completed in that particular way and I'm just going to put this out there, Matt. I thought the model work here in this film was absolutely phenomenal. I don't know what you made of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that train scene, I thought that was like Buster Keaton's The General on steroids there. I thought that <laughs> train explosion was fantastic. <laughs> um, you know, The car one, I originally thought um, I, I didn't like as much, and then I saw it again, and actually I kind of came around on it. I, I, yeah, for sure. I thought this, that was really exceptional about this film to see how, how he did that.
0: Yeah, cuz the car chase that you mentioned, I mean this this takes place at the at the beginning of the film and it's really quite unique because the whole sequence of this car chase which it takes place in a tunnel um and you know some crazy stunts where you know the ton- the tunnel is cylindrical and the cars using the kind of the slope of the side to be able to sort of go up on the side and sort of dodge around obstacles that are in in the vehicle's way and you know they're not just using models or miniatures for a couple of shots of the things that may be difficult to do as practical effects the entire car sequence is basically done with miniatures and there's a few sort of cutaways to lewis collins and as Borgnine sitting inside like a real car like supposedly reacting to what's happening in the rest of the sequence but for all intents and purposes everything else all of the vehicles Uh, You know, all of that is done through miniatures and model work. And I thought this is incredibly realistic.
1: Yeah. And I think when we think of, you know, kind of the modern filmmaking where you're using computer generated graphics and you're using as much as you can to to, to create that. The fact that he did that so well and also the fact that, you know, as you mentioned, he started in the 60s as a filmmaker. And so he's going through this progression of different types of film stock where maybe something that would have worked on 1960s film stock. You know, with the '80s film stock, it's a little bit better. You need to to make it a little bit nicer, otherwise we can see those flaws. And I, I think the way that he was able to do that, and and like you said, with that chase scene, um, that was another thing too that I, I think when I first watched it, I didn't realize how much of it was in model. And I watched it again last mm. night just to get a better sense of it. And it is amazing, like how much he was able to do with that. And like you said, just spliced in pictures of of shots of Ernest Borgnine reacting kind of you know kind of comically there and <laughs> he's trying to earn that Oscar again maybe or maybe not trying to earn that Oscar again <laughs> but um you know that was I, I i agree with you there i i think that you know the, the fact that he could do that in it does, I think it also does a little bit betray the, or it, it kind of makes us pine for more when we see these action sequences that are just like guys, you know, walking around with machine mm-hmm. guns and, you know, stuntmen just kind of shimmying and dying when they get shot with the machine gun fire that you're kind of seeing that seem like almost perfunctory. And then this is just so, you know, next level that, that for sure it was, maybe that's part of why we, we thought maybe the rest of the movie was unremarkable
0: yeah i mean, and I think the, the other sequence that i I want to draw out is the one that takes place towards the end of the film where they 're kind of raiding this you know facility because you know the actors are on location um, and all of the obviously they can 't afford to actually blow up the you know the, the location where they 're filming so the the model worker miniatures are used for the sequences where the explosions need to go off and where the buildings are blown up and The thing that I was really marveling at was how closely the 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 models and the miniature work matched the locations where they were filming and you know I just thought that you know obviously the car chase sequence it's a completely the whole sort of tunnel bit it's they're just used you know it's a completely invented location in terms of the the model work so it's all pure model work whereas with that sequence at the end whoever was creating these models and miniatures was having to match the, the shots that um you know Margariti had filmed on location and again I just thought what a phenomenal job they'd done to to match the models to the locations
1: yeah yeah I agree it was it was kind of it was amazing that you really had to pay attention to know if it was the building being blown up or the model uh, which I, I agree that was really a cool thing that was another thing I, I had to you know watch going through a second viewing. Uh, I picked up on that a little bit more like oh that that was a model there, so he fooled me a couple times before <laughs> um, that 's how good they were that i i didn 't realize you know I took for granted that they were just blowing up an old building that they didn 't need anymore, and it 's like no that's that was a model that they created, so I agree with that that was it, it was amazing that that kind of attention to detail, and then we talk about the characters not being fleshed out mm. properly, and um you know that maybe that 's where you know Margariti wanted to make his money with this film was to give us an experience like things were really being blown up or the car chase was really happening. And he wanted to make that as real as possible, but I think that's where he did succeed for sure.
0: Well, let's um, look at some of the, uh, the cast and and, and characters in this, uh, in this movie. And we've mentioned, um, you know, that there are some big names in here. We've got Lee Van Cleef, Borg nine, there's, there's Klaus Kinski. I mean, you know, who amongst the actors um, stood out for you um, for, you know, either good or bad reasons.
1: Well, so, so Kinski is part of our direct to video connoisseur hall of fame. So he's the one that, you know, if I were coming to this independently, he'd be the reason, you know, I would have come to the movie mm. probably. And uh, I think, you know, we joke about this. Maybe it's like, I don't know if it's like a, a Chekhov's gun approach with Kinski, where it's like, if you have Kinski in the movie, he has to be a baddie, uh, so it's kind of just waiting for that, but um, he was, I, I thought he was fun for the few scenes that he was in, um, I did get a kick out of him wearing a jumpsuit, which was, which was kind of funny, that he's like, you know, wearing a, with, the, with like the uh, the members-only jacket, like, you know, flaps on the, on the shoulders, so his outfits were hilarious, but he, you know, he did really well there, and I did like the scenes between him and Borgnine, because I think Kinski's always had this, like, anti-Hollywood slant, mm. and then here's Borgnine who's won an Oscar, so I think that kind Kind of, you know, the way we see acting, you know, that's supposed to be like a, a real mark of, of, of talent if you get an mm-hmm. Oscar. And Kinski would never, you know, he's probably the kind of guy who would have like brando it and just said, I'm oh, not yeah. going to. I won't accept it or something like that. But, you know, the scenes that they had together, there seemed like there was legitimate tension between them, just, you know, beyond just the characters. And that was something that I enjoyed as well. So, you know, I mean, I would have liked to have seen more of, of Kinski perhaps in the film, but I think the amount that I got was good. I think Lewis Collins handled enough that I didn't need Kinski all the time in the film. But, uh, but um, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed Lee Van Cleef's character as kind of like a, a wisecracking character that, you know, he kind of was known for in the 60s in his mm. movies. Um, so I thought that was good too. And of course, it's always funny whenever you get. Uh, an actor who's won an Oscar in a film like this—that's um, just always, for me, that's always—I I, I, I just kick, you know. And I thought Marty was a great movie. I, I'm not saying that that you know Borgon didn't deserve the Oscar he won. I thought he was great in that movie, but it's just always funny to be like, you know, he's reading this bad dialogue or making these funny faces while he's supposed to be in a car that's turning upside down and stuff, and. <laughs> Um, you know, I'm like that. That yeah, he he won an Oscar. You know, so that, that I was going to kick out of that as well.
0: In terms of uh, Klaus Kinski, um, yeah, I enjoyed what we got from him here, but uh, I, I I wish he'd perhaps had a little bit more opportunity to to sort of cut loose with his his character. Um, he's done some amazing films over the years, and um, you know, I, I kind of don't really feel he. Sort of had the opportunity to sort of really cut loose here. um Borgnine, I enjoyed his character here. I mean, he's one of those actors. Like, even I've never seen Borgnine do a bad job. Even I mean, he's an actor who's who's had many ups and downs in his in in his career, and you know, he's been in some great films. He's also been in some some terrible films. But you know, Borgnine's always. Putting in a shift in, and you know, he always brings something enjoyable. And uh, I kind of enjoyed the the sort of boy scoutish enthusiasm that um, that he had as this this character who was meant to be sort of uh, you know organizing a, a sort of a, this black op. It was you know, you kind of generally people running black ops tend to be deeply cynical, dour characters you know perhaps with a hint of menace whereas Borgnine, you know it <laughs> seems to be organizing black ops missions seems to be the sort of biggest fun he could possibly have in his life
1: yes actually, the other thing too i liked about his characters you know vis-a-vis kidski was that he kept talking about like what these guys have to do uh mm. to you know to to to, to... Save the mission, but then when it turn- came time to maybe go in and potentially rescue them or help them out, he's like, "Well, I got to stay here. I can't. I can't go with you. You know, <laughs> I got a kick out of that. That that was like, because I think that was what the character was supposed to be. It was kind of supposed to be this guy who tells people what to do, but really doesn't want to get his hands dirty or you know, risk his own life. You know, yeah. when it comes to it. And I, I thought that part of it was great. Um, I did get, get a kick. I don't know if we needed him shirtless um, <laughs> at that scene towards the end there. I think we could have we done without that. Um, you know, uh, that that's a, you know, say, <laughs> that would have been okay. But but yeah, and I agree with you on Kinsky. We really. Only got the 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 true like kinsky on 10 at the end when he was like almost being set on fire um <laughs> and he's like screaming and stuff and 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 i don't know if part of that was like a lot of his voice was added in post or something or it's just maybe another was one of those situations where the character wasn't fleshed mm. out the way we would have liked and um so yeah i agree with you there i would have like like more kinsky you know kind of just doing Kinski like you know with mm. like the werner herzog type you know like oh yeah you know yeah cobra verde or something like that i would i would have enjoyed more of that too
0: okay we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to be looking at the exploding helicopter action
1: all right guys so we need to record our top three reasons why you should listen to french toast sunday podcast Number three should definitely be our diverse opinions. Number two should probably be our top three lists that we
0: do every week.
1: No, it's gotta, it's gotta be Mark Wahlberg.
0: What about Gwyneth Paltrow's head?
1: It's gotta be fighting the sadness in the swamp of sadness.
0: Full frontal
1: stories about being lost at sea.
0: Brendan Fraser being underground. Helen Mirren's boobs. Baltimore accents as heard in The Wire. Klaus.
2: Crepes. Character studies.
1: Wait, 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 guys. What about movies? Mm, tree rape. Hmm.
2: Tree yeah, I like tree range. Tune in every Friday for a new episode of French Toast Sunday podcast brought to you by us at FrenchToastSunday.com.
0: we're back and now we're looking at the exploding helicopter action. Our heroes steal a helicopter in order to infiltrate the drug lord's production facility after blowing up the base uh, they're all set to make their getaway in a chopper. Unfortunately one of the baddies runs up to the uh, unattended whirlybird and uses the butt of their machine gun to smash the aircraft's fuel tank. The act of sabotage is spotted by heroes who open fire fatally wounding the villain but as he takes his last breath he fires at the ground setting alight the fuel Fuel that spilt from the helicopter, the flames race towards the chopper, which promptly explodes in a gasoline fireball. Matt, what did you make of the exploding helicopter action?
1: The explosion itself, I thought, was a little lackluster, because it seemed like it just blew up the front, you know, before the helicopter. Um, but I did like the fact that the the helicopter explosion was actually germane to the plot. Um, usually it's just like, oh, there's a helicopter here. I'm not going back to, you know, Chekhov's gun again. It's like, you know, if you've got a helicopter in an action movie, you need to blow it up kind of thing, you know, like... That wasn't what this was. It was like, no, now that this helicopter's exploded. now they actually have to do something. You know, it's not like a, yeah. a villain flying in and getting blown up. So I like that part, that it was germane to the plot, but the explosion itself it was a little lackluster.
0: Yeah, I had a similar uh, take on on it because, uh, you know, it, it was a bit of a lackluster explosion. Um, and also the budget clearly didn't run to actually blowing up the helicopter. So the the explosion is quite clearly taking place in the foreground and not anywhere near the helicopter lest they damage it so i mean it's it's you know it's a a reasonably big explosion but it's very clear that they're just trying to disguise the fact that um, they're not actually blowing up a a real helicopter um, in this Um, uh, one of the details though that um, i would i found quite uh, amusing and interesting as uh, an exploding helicopter aficionado was quite how easy it was to burst that fuel tank with the uh the, with the the butt of that machine gun i mean it, it, it looked basically like that helicopter was made of um you know tinfoil
1: yes it, it also i think the, the 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 gasoline looked like sangria or something like that it was like <laughs> flowing it was like a purple <laughs> liquid that was flowing out of there yeah i noticed that as well like the it was like kind of like just like it was like a, a tinfoil or you know what some kind of like yeah, like, he just kind of ripped it open, and, yeah, and I, I, and then I noticed the, the actual way to make the explosion. Um, of course, this came out before Wolverine's uh, X-Men Origins, mm-hmm. but it was that idea of, like, you light the fire, and then the fire goes, and it's sort of like a, the flame eventually reaches the helicopter and makes it blow up, as opposed to just blowing it up directly with, like, a bazooka or something. Um, But, uh, but yeah, I did notice that as well, that, uh, it was very easy to break, and instead of trying to use gas, they used some kind of purple liquid for the, <laughs> the fuel. <laughs>
0: i mean uh, one other uh, piece of uh information i think it's germane to to throw in here is that uh you know in, in terms of the the kind of exploding helicopters antonio margariti is actually uh you know a hugely important figure because you know so far in the uh sort of decade-long investigation of this particular film trope you know margariti is actually the director who has included an exploding helicopter in the most number of films so so far he's He's included exploding helicopters in six of his films, which makes him the uh, you know the the number one film director of uh, exploding uh, helicopters.
1: Yeah, I'm not surprised now that it, you know, because having watched Commando Leopard, it was like there were uh, helicopters exploding all over the place in that one. Right? It was like you know like Lewis Collins had like a I don't know what that is that the attachment on the bottom of the gun and you know causes, so yeah that's interesting that you know he's it, it's funny maybe that makes sense that he would make a movie where the exploding helicopter actually plays a part in the plot um, mm. considering he's done it so many times because that was one thing that i did like about this that it wasn't that the helicopter was exploding just to explode but now they have they are, they're in trouble because of this
0: yeah it was yeah it was good i agree it was it was nice that they the exploding helicopter actually had that sort of integral part into the plot and wasn't just used as a uh you know as punctuation to a, a particular um action scene so uh you know i'm uh you know in terms of uh in terms of uh you know investigating Margariti's uh cv i'm gonna have to sort of work through some more of his films to to find out what his uh full tally of uh movies is because uh, uh i'm also you know the 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 person who is hot on Margariti's heels is uh, uh sirio h santiago who's uh got uh, five exploding helicopters to his name so uh i'm gonna have to sort of yeah finish working my way th- through their cvs to see who ultimately is going to come out on top as the uh as the most important director of uh this particular movie trope
1: yeah that's interesting you mentioned, santiago because yeah i think he's like you know he's he's in that same milieu of like you know what, what do we call it like uh I think there was a blog in the past that was called, like, when the, when the Vietnam War raged in the Philippines, where I think there's that, that exploding mm. hut genre of, you know, I don't, Santiago <laughs> also does a lot of, like, uh, post-apocalyptic things where it's just, you know, sort of like taking cars and putting spikes on them and things like that. And, you know, having Richard Norton or something like that run around and, and you know, um, uh, David Carradine. But, but, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. I wonder, too, with Santiago, I get a sense that he may be recycling exploding helicopter mm-hmm. footage like i, I wonder you oh, know yeah. if we looked at it like if it's like the same helicopter blowing up in, in different movies the way that he does it but uh yeah it's interesting how with a lot of these films um that take place in 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 asia like that in the in the 80s that involve you know former Vietnam vets, or it's even taking place in Vietnam or something like that, that uh, that seems to be a big part of it. And maybe that's because of Rambo. Rambo was, was, was big on blowing up helicopters. And maybe they feel like, well, you know, if Rambo's blowing up helicopters, <laughs> and we're making these movies to make them kind of Rambo ish, like, we need to do that as well.
0: The one final thing I think I want to mention in this particular uh, section is uh, it's not related to the exploding helicopter, but uh, I feel it does need to be mentioned is um, at the end of this movie, um, you know, we get uh, Lewis Collins and Lee Van Cleef, um, you know, flying around the um this opium producing um facility and they've hooked up a flamethrower to the landing skis of the helicopter which they're flying around in and they are you know burning buildings they're burning people and and ultimately um frying klaus kinski with this flamethrower they've hooked up to a helicopter and as someone who enjoys helicopters in films i thought that well you know i've never seen a flamethrower in a helicopter before and i thought that was seriously cool
1: yeah yeah i mean it did make me wonder, like, with the with the baddies that were getting torched, like, I I don't know for me if I would be trying to fire at a helicopter that's got a uh, a flamethrower, I would like run over <laughs> cover as soon as I could. But yeah, I agree with you there. That was really cool, and it was a really great way, I think, to mitigate maybe some of the the, the issues of the budget to have flames everywhere and just sort of be able to prop up flames and everything. And yeah, mm. I thought that was a really great way to do that. And you know, once that, that helicopter is unleashed on us, it comes out of that garage. It's just a free for all where it's just, you know, Lewis Collins is running around torching everybody. Uh, I, <laughs> thought that, I thought that was really great. I mean, we had seen enough of, of you know, of, of, of stunt guys shimmying to their deaths or falling from great heights when they get shot from watch that. We'd seen enough of that at a point. So maybe Margarita understood like we needed a new way to do this. And that was, I agree. That was really inspired the way he did that.
0: <laughs> okay i think that just about wraps things up for this show uh matt many thanks for for joining me do you want to take a moment to tell people about where they can uh, you know find you online
1: yeah, so the blog itself, it's a dtvconnoisseur.blogspot.com. Um, we got rid of the old Matt Movie Guy domain. I'd let that lapse. So it's a dtvconnoisseur.blogspot.com. And then you can find us on all the main sites. So we're on, um, I think we're dtvconnoisseur on Instagram, uh, direct-to-video connoisseur on Facebook, uh, Twitter is at, at dtvconnoisseur, and then at dtvc on Tumblr. So we're all those. And then also we have a, um, a podcast that's on TalkShoe. Uh, you can find the link for that on on Facebook or the Instagram site.
0: Thanks, Matt. And uh, as always, don't forget to check out the Exploding Helicopter website. Uh, You can also find us on uh, Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, all the usual sorts of places. We'll be back soon. But until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters.